All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Insecure Space 14. Today, we're going to talk about your feedback, YouTube's ban on hacking content, some news about Stefan's hackerspace, and some of my Wi-Fi research, as well as talk about OOP. So let's start out with uh, feedback. Yeah, so um, we every episode, we try to encourage you to give feedback. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but uh, yeah, I want to start just talking about feedback in the start of every episode. So it encourages more people to give us feedback. Yeah, we do this for you also. So everything you say, we listen to. And uh, yeah, we'll go over it at the start and try to do the things that make sense. Yeah, so we talked yep. about the whole technical talk uh, topic last time. And um, there were two arguments uh, given. Uh, and one of them was that reoccurring talks, like someone talks about a specific topic ev every year at the same conference maybe, um, that they, they skip the intro because, you know, they have their target group and they expect everyone to know the basics. So why should they go over this again and again? Um, and I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I didn't quite understand that because uh, is that a common thing? I, I, okay, I don't so know, I never... One, one talk I uh, watched recently was about Matrix. You guys know Matrix, the whole chat thing? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so apparently there is a talk each year at C3. I'm not sure when it started, maybe three years ago or two years or something, but it is definitely a reoccurring talk. Um, and uh, yeah, they just start right away. And I wasn't even sure what the talk was about. I just saw Matrix and I, I thought about the movie <laughs> and just, I, I just watched the entire talk and understood what it was about, uh, yeah, over time. But there was no good intro to it. And I think that's 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 still weird. Even if you have a talk that is reoccurring, because each year you give you talk about the updates that has happened to the project or something like this. Uh, if you give a talk at a hacker conference, especially like C three, where you have a very diverse group of people sitting there, uh, I think you should use that kind of platform to promote your project and introduce it to other people so even if you have your target group and it's a reoccurring talk um, still uh, reserve some time to do an intro that's at least what I think like because uh, yeah if you just start right away then wh why do you need to give a talk at this conference the conference uh, holds a lot of different people so I think you should encourage more people because otherwise you could just I don't know, record a video and upload it to YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I just I wasn't sure if... I mean, i never seen these reoccurring talk things. Uh, maybe it's not common here. Or these conferences here in Hungary aren't big enough for that. But, uh, yeah. There are I some, mean, not that many. This is the thing. I mean, I, uh, didn't, I didn't even know what Matrix is and that the talk was a reoccurring one until I watched it till the end or something. So, uh, yeah, weird, hmm. but still give a good intro. I mean, that was the whole point of the argument last time. Yeah, I, I uh, think it's still worth it even if you do it again and again, because a lot of people didn't watch your previous one. Yeah, maybe also like a TLDR, what previously happened or something. Yeah, <laughs> would definitely, at least, at least a summary to let the new people know what's going on. Cause yeah, it can be confusing to walk in the middle of something that seems like it's already in progress. Yeah, I think the guy, uh, to, to go back to the Matrix example, he gave like a very, 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 very short TLDR, uh, what it is. 
but I didn't really understand what it is really. I mean, you, you have to reserve like five five minutes at least to really uh, get your points across what what this project is about, why you're passionate about it, and so on. Not just yeah, this is a chat client. Okay, here we go. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, another another concept uh, I I wanted to talk about, but like completely forgot. Uh, the fundamental talks. Uh, I think it was a new thing uh, at the last congress at the 35C3. Uh, it's a new category. So uh, if you have a talk that is uh, aimed at beginners, so for for everyone to understand, kind of like a complete beginner talk, yeah, uh, then it goes in the category fundamental talk. So you know whether or not a talk is yeah requires maybe some background knowledge or not. And That's good. Th yeah. That's great. That's great. That's I think every conference should have something like this. That's and, really um, good because if they categorize it, then uh, yeah, yeah I, not I like agree with that. not like the not Petya talk, right? Yeah, that was for advanced people, and it was well, clickbaited. Or I I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. I just I remember it something along the the lines that it was for beginner, so it was like explained. I mean, I guess it was explained. They I didn't say beginners, but I in the description it says that it was about NotPetya and and stuff. And you you just you um, yeah, when poor you NotPetya, poor poor guy who made the talk. Yeah, shit talking. Every time we bring up the NotPetya, it's not the NotPetya's fault really. I, I think it was probably a great talk if you understood it. But uh, yeah, that's that's a great thing that they uh, separated into into categories because. Uh, I mean that that should be more common that you put like categories into these talks. But maybe I, I, I guess um, sorry, most conferences don't have enough uh, speakers to do that. Yeah, uh, I would even go further and uh, require every speaker to uh, write down like the kind of kind of like a requirements for this talk, so everyone knows uh, how much well, background knowledge is required for this talk. Because if, for example, Cody gives a talk about uh, researching Wi-Fi, then um, maybe I want to know if this is for, uh, like, can I can I show this talk to my parents? Because it's like completely beginner, uh, no background knowledge required, or is it something aimed at like generally hackers or, or people in in IT, or is it something uh, aimed for people that are already in to like Wi-Fi hacking and that kind of stuff? So there are different stages, and I feel like maybe. Uh, at conferences you should kind of think of a system like thi this yeah th that's great I never heard about it yeah me, me neither but a lot of descriptions sound like oh wow this is really interesting I don't know anything about this topic but uh, I will learn something new if I go to this talk and then you go to this talk and it's super technical and boring and uh, yeah <laughs> there was never uh, an intro that got you hooked yeah, so you still don't I think anything. this only works when I mean, if you look at Hungary things, uh, we have uh, Hacktivity and B-Sides and stuff. I mean, Hacktivity, we have two two talks happening at the same time. That's better. But like B-Sides, you know, it's a small thing. You only have one talk happening at the same time. So <laughs> it's not really profitable to, to categorize it as like advanced. Half of the people go out of the conference and that defeats <laughs> the purpose. So yeah, it works when it's bigger. But it's still a great thing idea. Um, we are always shit talking the NotPetya thing. I want to shit talk another talk. 
uh, should talk another talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was a talk called "How Does the Internet Work" on the 35C3, and that was definitely something aimed. Okay, yeah, th in that the would be clickbaited. I I would be clickbaited by that. Just right. I mean, it is what it sounds like, but the thing is, um, it was a fundamental talk. It was talking about well the fundamentals. But the the way it was presented was again super boring, confusing. Not didn't seem very well structured. It didn't seem to be uh, coming from someone who knows how to uh, motivate people outside of the field. So mm. even though you know it was some like super expert trying to uh, explain their all their knowledge to like people that have no clue about it. And I, I mean, I know a lot about how the internet works already, so I understand what he's talking about, but the way it was presented, I can tell that if I would show this to my parents, they, they, would, they wouldn't understand anything. That's kind of defeating the point. So uh, there were very good talks, um, but there were also very bad talks. So not just <laughs> that you should um, make clear what the target audience is for your talk you should also think about how you're presenting it not just not just the information itself but also how you present it because if you present it in a bad structured way or just make it or, or, you, or you just talk boring then i'm sorry then it's not it's just not gonna encourage random people yeah especially no these knowledge. fundamental talks should be like uh these people who do this should have a great uh, skills in doing these talks because you know otherwise uh, yeah it doesn't work because for these basic talks you have to be interesting and stuff yeah, it for should the be lightweight talks, and fun fine. and the how the internet works was neither I mean, lightweight nor fun <laughs> yeah I mean the advanced talks shouldn't be not fun and neither that's not a great attitude towards it I think but yeah especially the fundamentals uh, should be way more with way more uh, friendly and stuff than <laughs> than the advanced ones, I think. Yeah. All right. YouTube <laughs> bonds hacking content. <laughs> the oh big news. My God. So I woke up and I had a couple messages from my editor at Wonder How To, and the first one just said, "There's a problem with the YouTube channel." And usually that means like we got a strike for or li like a content or like copyright violation for using like never going to give it up or something, which we do <laughs> a lot. Uh, so like I'm I'm not a stranger to waking up to like messages like that. But there was like more than usual. And then I saw that one of our videos had been taken down, which has never happened before. So initially, like I thought this was an isolated incident. Maybe somebody got mad about something. Sometimes we'll just pick like, you know, a celebrity or something and we'll start, <laughs> we'll do like a recon piece on like John McAfee. And I was like, but I don't think John McAfee has the time right now to, you know, like have our channel flagged for like displaying his personal information or whatever. Um, especially because we never really delve that much into anything that could get us in trouble. So I was confused. And then when I saw what video it was, it was um, the one that got taken down was... Um, hacking WPA2 networks with the new PMKID attack, which um, is very well known, uh, doesn't work if you don't, if you have a strong password. Like there's this whole laundry list of stuff that you have to mess up in order for this attack to work. But it was a very um, kind of innocuous hacking video. So <clears throat> that's when some people started pointing me towards the fact that YouTube had updated their terms of service and um, 
Yeah, I was just surprised because we have some videos with very spicy titles, like that could definitely be misinterpreted by someone who yeah. like doesn't know a lot about hacking. Um, <laughs> there's one that's called like um, brute force any website uh, login with hatch, but the real we could just retitle that to say why um, rate limiting is essential when building a web <laughs> application, and it's the same content essentially. Like we're because this would never ever ever work against like Facebook, Instagram, any website that has any security at all. <clears throat> so um, that was not the one that got taken down. Um, instead, uh, I posted about this on Twitter because we had just worked our asses off trying to get a 4th of July episode, which is a very big deal here in the United States, where we had done a Arduino fireworks um, video and we wanted to upload it and now we couldn't by the 4th of July, even though we'd worked so hard to get it done in time. So... I went to bed. When I woke up, a bunch of news organizations had picked up the story and fucked it up uh, and been like, YouTube channel tries to upload fireworks hacking video and gets banned. And I was like, whoa, that Ooh. is not what happened at all. So mm -hmm. I quickly had to get in touch with these people who were spreading the story wrong and correct them and say, no, it was a video on Wi-Fi hacking. We just can't upload this one. And then the only negative response we got was from people being like, well, you're trying to teach people how to detonate explosives. Like, and that, of course they took your video down. So we went from like, a, uh, a hacking, a Wi-Fi hacking video gets taken down to random people on the internet telling me that my my content deserves to be taken down because I'm creating detonators. So wow. that took a, a very quick turn, um, and I had to first explain. Okay, the the video that we're putting up is how to get a make a wire hot with Arduino. It will never detonate a bomb. Like it's just for fireworks. It's a very simple thing, and that is not what we got in trouble for. What we got in trouble for was a Wi-Fi hacking one. So not only are you wrong, you are twice wrong, and that is not even what this is about. Um, finally, we managed to get the story out relatively straight. That took like a good half of the day, and then it just exploded. Um, so that's when I started getting reporters following up with me. I got someone from LinkedIn who asked me to um, write a piece for them. Uh, Forbes uh, published a piece, and that's when I started getting phone calls from people I knew who's like, "Hey, you're in the regular news. Like, you're you're not on like Infosec News anymore. You're actually being covered by like you know like like things that like other people read." So uh, <laughs> that was really unexpected. I got a bunch of like uh, phone calls and text messages from people I haven't heard from for a long time. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. Uh, it, it was also crazy how much wrong information got out so quickly uh, because. Uh, no, go on. Just, just a question. Uh, that uh, I, I, I didn't understand the tweet f at first. I, I, that uh, you didn't upload the firework video, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so yeah, you just couldn't. wanted to upload the firework video, and right. <clears throat> so, so it wasn't wasn't related to any of this. It was just completely unrelated that you wanted to upload, but you couldn't, or. No, the, the reason I posted on Twitter was explaining to our fans why we couldn't upload our 4th of July video. Yeah. So it was yeah. like, hey, we worked really hard on this episode, but we can't upload it because one of our videos was was uh, striked, and now our, our account is basically locked. Oh, yeah, yeah, so it got completely locked. Okay, okay. 
Yeah. I see. I yeah, see. so we were just trying to let people know why um, this this great content we'd worked so hard wasn't going to be on time. It but, was misinterpreted. Um, like. It was misinterpreted as we were banned because of this content because journalists were just looking for you know a, a simple story to report and they didn't bother to ask me. In fact, out of all of this, there were only three journalists that reached out to me even over Twitter to either like get the details correct or to like ask me if information was was true when it started to look like a little bit inconsistent between sources. So I was uh, like a little surprised by how fast and loose some of the journalists like played it when they just published a piece. They really they could have asked me like I would have given them a like you know an interview, uh, but um, it spread really really quickly. And the nice thing was after I corrected the misinterpretation that it was because we were building you know fireworks videos. Um, the community was hugely supportive, but also I found out that other creators um, who are, are making the same kind of content are facing the same problem. So Satonic said that some of his videos were taken down. Um, we had you know, some other people that are operate smaller channels saying that other of their videos were now being flagged. And rather than being reversed immediately, um, these, these flags were actually being taken seriously as violations of the terms of service. Uh, so we got a response from YouTube uh, they apply, replied on their official account after my tweet reached some crazy amount of retweets and said, we looked into it, um, it was a mistake that it got flagged, and it's been resolved. And they also kind of were like, by the way, in the future, you should probably just just ask us instead of creating a giant shitstorm on Twitter. And I was like, whoops. Um, but that night, I logged in, and we had another video get a warning. So... Um, what the hell? So all this pressure, all this whatever, you know, like I, as soon as I posted that the video had been restored, we got another strike or it's not a strike. It's a warning. So that has since been reversed, but I imagine we're going to see more. So unless something has changed and YouTube just didn't communicate it to us within the last week, uh, we're still getting flagged. Um, like our videos are still being taken down and we're still having to fight them like piecemeal, like bit by bit to get our videos put back up. So that is, we have the resources to do that, but not every creator does. I mean, it's just a whole new job now to have to like fight uh, and appeal, you know, any video that gets flagged because YouTube will lock your account um, so that you can't upload stuff if they uh, initially deem it as something that does violate their terms of service. So if you're in the business of uploading videos, you could be locked out while suddenly, instead of creating your content, your job is arguing with YouTube as to whether or not your content deserves to be taken down. Because if it does, you're locked out of your uploads and you can't you can't make any more money or serve up any more content anymore. Yeah. Uh, so... No, Sorry, uh, go ahead. Uh, no, no, did you watch uh, Life Overflow's video about this? No, um, but actually he uh, did a really good job of rallying people together and, and talking about uh, why this was important to do. There's also MalwareTech uh, did a, an article on why it was like really essential to have these sorts of videos out. But um, what was in it? Because I don't think I saw it. Uh, yeah, I, this he was a bit like... I don't know. He wasn't uh, completely on the same thing as what you were tweeting about. I, I, I don't know. Spesan, did you watch that? I, I don't think so. Oh, I don't, then I, don't I have the pressure to, to, to tell the contents <laughs> because I am not completely sure. The point is that he talked about how we should take the... that the fact that they advertise, uh, that you can advertise on YouTube, we should take it as not like a uh, basic thing we have but as like a feature and uh, we shouldn't get like really angry if they take it away from us 
and that uh, we can like solve this issue uh, you know by asking the guys at YouTube and they will probably solve it other than uh, so so it's oh, he wow. he was he wasn't talking about it as this is like a big really bad thing uh, he was kind of um, uh, defending or I don't know I wasn't defending YouTube he he just said that he thinks it's a bit too early to uh, be really scared so if you know if maybe this was just some issue and then they can fix it and then uh, they will uh, then later this problem will be solved but he said that uh, if if this issue persists and and you know other videos are going to get deleted and stuff then uh, he's going to to feel bad about making a video like this because he 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 just made a video i think where he mostly defended that maybe this was just some kind of an issue you know and we shouldn't completely uh, attack youtube and stuff uh, like that so it, it was a bit uh, against attacking youtube like how everyone else uh, felt like i don't okay. feel like youtube is a legitimate source of income to rely on I, I would agree with that. I don't. I think that if you're basing your your income on um, like direct from YouTube revenue, that is a bad idea, and you shouldn't do it. Um, especially producing infosec content right now. Um, no, no, he. I mean, he he said that. Uh, I think if if he is listening to it or anyone who watched it, I'm sorry if I'm not explaining it correctly because I just watched it like a I don't know a few weeks ago, and I'm not completely sure. But he said that you know. Um, we just got this feature where we can get money from YouTube, you know, and this wasn't there before. And it's, it's, it's basically a feature. It's like a convenient feature for us. And then, you know, when something happens and it gets taken away, all of the creators, they go like, they go crazy and they really get triggered. And he said that there shouldn't be uh, such a, you know, uh, they shouldn't be triggered so much because this is just a convenience feature that you can put ads on your videos and uh, yeah, until you can't upload any more content. Yeah, and that's then you're that's, cut off. that's a fair point. That's <laughs> a fair point. I, I do, I do agree with that. That if you don't if you don't upload, you can't upload. Then that's a very different situation. He just he he even gave an example where he talked about some other hacker uh, YouTubers who did like game hacking stuff where they also got like deleted and stuff. But they channel they his they channel uh, their channel got back up and it's working again. So he said that maybe these things uh, happen sometimes, you know. But if we can just uh, contact the right people then uh, we can uh, we can solve this issue and we shouldn't like do like uh, so big of a i don't know we shouldn't hate hate, hate publicly on youtube on this one yeah i, I, I don't know i still feel like public pressure is the only way that they 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 try to fix the problem because we are a big channel you know like we we're we're on 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 track to to by next year have as many subscribers as hack five so you know for us to have to fight them for like a week and a half to get any sort of response and then the only way that they actually get back to us and resolve the problem is when you know twitter explodes and i have multiple people who work at youtube or google like going and, and being like hey what the hell is going on can you look into this that's the only reason we got this turned around so quickly honestly like this would have dragged on for much longer if it hadn't been for the community response so you know i i agree it's not the end all and i, I also don't think that it's a smart business model to rely on youtube and then get upset like when something changes but like if you're if you're branding yourself as a as a place to publish your content for free you know if they're not paying you 
I don't think that YouTube should get in the business of like telling you, you know, oh, this is harmful content. You know, our, our channel isn't even monetized. We don't, we don't make money from them. We don't show their ads. We're not putting their brand on our, on, you know, our stuff. Like, mm-hmm. so one of the, one of the things that really went after us after was BitChute was like, you guys should move over to here. And like, I was looking at BitChute and I was like, oh my God, you guys just have like Alex Jones and a bunch of other like, you know, ultra right wing stuff that's been banned on every other channel. And it's like, that's not us. You know, we're not Infowars. Like, <laughs> like we're not producing stuff that's like. You're like racist or like gaslighting shit or like we're not we're not producing anything that should be forced off the platform so like i don't think that it, it's it's you know a necessary response to go to other platforms like BitChute or like other things for content that's banned because i i think this is you know really really essential because the people that are our fans are either people that are getting into infosec that want to learn about what's really out there and see if it's for them or it's people who are already in infosec and they have to stay fresh with you know what what is currently happening with tools attackers are using what is currently happening with uh, the way security is evolving if they stop learning they stop being good at their jobs so if there's not free resources out there how are people who don't have the the sweet deal of having your boss fucking pay for your continuing education how are those people supposed to be good at their jobs those people are in charge of all of our cybersecurity stuff for all the services we use. Like, we need them to have free or low cost or affordable resources to be good at what they do. And that's exactly what our channel is for. Uh, mm. Same thing with all these other free infosec channels. Like, there are definitely channels out there that are like, hey, this is how to break into your ex girlfriend's, you know, yeah, yeah, Twitter yeah. account and stalk her every movement so you can, you know, get into your, her house and like tell her how you really feel. Fuck no. Like, you know, take take that shit off YouTube. That's malicious. Like, the intent of that is not academic. It's yeah. teaching yeah, psychopaths yeah. how to be worse psychopaths. Our yeah. stuff does not do that. Like, we are we're being as educational and uh, legal as possible. We give legal warnings on everything we do. So, you know, when when we have to go back and forth with YouTube for like over a week and a half, like uh, like trying to get the stuff like handled, um, not everybody can do that. We, we're just lucky because we have the resources. So I felt like the fact that the press picked up on it was good because for the smaller people that are, that are now caught up by this, you know, glitch or issue, it's very discouraging to have to explain to someone at YouTube who doesn't understand the difference between white hat hacking and black hat hacking, why your channel um, isn't black hat hacking when, when they just like don't see the difference. Yeah. I think it's the educational part. Yeah, Life Overflow also said that, you know, he he thinks that this ban should be uh, for uh, stuff like, you know, video where he shows how to make a Facebook phishing page because he, he, t- he told that there is no real reason to, you know, make a tutorial about how to make a Facebook phishing page. Because that's, that's untrue. Like I, have a, I have a tutorial on how to make a Facebook phishing page because how the fuck are you supposed to know how people make okay. phishing yeah, pages yeah. if you don't show it? Like, you know, like I, I feel like would the phishing page work? Well, you'd have to be on a local network and we don't show how to do that. There's all these other conditions that make it so we don't we don't make a fully deployable Facebook phishing page, but do we show how people make phishing pages and do we target popular social media networks? Of course we do. Cuz you know, you, people are never going to care about this stuff if it looks so ridiculous and, you know, abstracted that it doesn't look real. Like we have mm-hmm. to show the reality of cybersecurity, or you know, we're we're basically whitewashing it, and we're we're trying to make it so we're not showing the real threats, and that's why people like our content. 
So mm-hmm. I respectfully disagree with that. There's still okay. some things that that like I feel like sound sketchy as hell to someone who doesn't understand cybersecurity, but to somebody inside our community, they they understand and would fight for those sorts of videos to be available because their job is knowing how that stuff works and, and basically looking and be like, oh, okay, well, this looks pretty convincing, but I can see here, here, and here that this doesn't look right. So I know that if I see a web page that looks like this, it could be an attack. That's what they get out of it, you know? Yeah, think- that, that's fair. I, I see your point, I see your point. Um, think Also think about uh, stuff like fake news that um, you can teach people how just how to research and stuff, but no one is really interested in that. But if you show how you would create a botnet and how how you can um, spread and all that stuff, people get super interested. And um, that's also how you teach people uh, how things work. And then they have a better understanding and can better... Um, distinguish between real and fake. Okay, fake news is maybe a bit of a uh, <laughs> extreme example, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's the same no, I, same kind of point. I, I wouldn't I get, just I say that. that oh, this is this is sketchy. We shouldn't do this, but we should do it in a manner that is still uh, responsible, well, eth- ethically uh, responsible, and yeah, but still I, I, I to, to, just to show people and because otherwise we we don't learn you know yeah you know maybe i i think this is interesting that we have a little uh uh yeah miss uh, it's different opinions uh maybe we could do if because you guys didn't watch it and i feel bad that i have to say these defend, uh, defend something um, you watched once that none of similar. us have watched <laughs> yeah it's it's i appreciate you taking it the position though because uh i had a good conversation um with him over uh, over twitter about what was going on and what his perspective was but i was so caught up with other stuff i didn't have a chance to watch his video because satanic made one and and you know marcus did a blog post and all this other stuff was coming out yeah 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 uh, that's that's fine I, I think what we what we maybe could do is that uh, the next episode maybe some kind of a feedback in in the feedback part uh, if you guys watch it later uh, then maybe if you have anything to add because i maybe i'm not correct with quoting his things so if you watch it and then in the next video you want something to add then yeah. we can do that yeah well, maybe I we think. could invite him on sometime too oh yeah that would be great <laughs> so oh the other thing that came out of that whole fiasco was um instead of BitChute, there was a group of people that was like hey we're gonna make our own website for the community by the community so they <laughs> made hackertube.net and every, people started <laughs> so people started uploading videos to it and they're like cool hackertube.net day two it got hacked by like a Turkish uh, like hacker team, and the person who made it was so pissed off. He's like, "Fuck you guys! Like nah, this I was spo- like I I told you that this was insecure. Like why did you attack it?" He's like, "Dude, they're hackers. Like you told them it was insecure. <laughs> like what did you think was gonna happen?" Oh great. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was very predictable, but it, it was still a nice effort. Like I, you know, I. For me, I have no control over the content where it goes because I don't own the channel. You know, like I produce content for for Wonder How to, but they're they're the ones that own the channel. So like they're not gonna go and put it on BitChute or whatever else. Like they're they're gonna do what they're gonna do with it. So while I wanted to support the efforts by the community as much as possible, and I do have content that I own myself uh, that's not through uh, Wonder How to. Yeah, it's like I, I couldn't upload any of my content to something like this, and then seeing it immediately get hacked, I was just like, oh well, all right, well maybe I just. Maybe I'll just find another way. <laughs> That's not yeah. that. 
but uh, an interesting turn of events uh, that yeah the community effort immediately got taken down. Um, but yeah, that was that was essentially it. The result of all of that uh, drama was I went from I think like uh, two thousand Twitter subscribers to sixty five hundred Twitter subscribers, and our channel hit um, two hundred and fifty. Wait. 250,000 subscribers? Is that what we're at? Like, like it was nothing. We just got a ton of traffic from it. Um, and then an mm. old business I started two years ago also got a ton of traffic because somebody went to my LinkedIn and I haven't updated it. So they they blasted in all these news articles that I was like the, the CEO of this company that like hasn't done anything in like two years. <laughs> so that's also been very exciting. You got more Twitter followers than me. I'm jealous. I know. Oh. I became slightly slightly more internet famous than Stefan um, just because of this one incident my only other friend that's had something like this happen got famous for his uh, his article on facial facial recognition and how juggalo makeup defeats it um, and uh, it was nice to have my own version of that that didn't involve juggalos yeah not, do you not, know that, what, I, not that I do you know the subscribers do I you have, know what juggalos still... are do you have those yeah. in Europe yeah <laughs> Oh great! Yes. Okay, cool. We talk. Didn't we talk about this in another episode here as well? I can't believe I, think, I forgot that. If if I, I did, if we did, I think the first but. one you were on when we talked about like DefCon Las Vegas video surveillance, how everything oh. turns to a surveillance state, that kind of stuff. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm not going to give Ian any more press then because he's already made out really good on that discovery. It got retweeted by Elon Musk. Oh Ooh. shit! Yeah. Like for all my fiasco, that's, that's like you know, the Twitter got right. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't know about that, but yeah. Either <laughs> way, Elon Musk came out as a, a insane clown posse fan because of my friend's tweet. So that that was pretty fantastic. I didn't quite get there, but I did get some Twitter uh, followers. So that was that was pretty nice. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. We all have dreams. <laughs> But while things were falling apart with my YouTube channel, things were just starting to come together for Stefan's hackerspace. Oh wow. Now it sounds like we are in a fairy tale. I like that. <laughs> All right. Okay, so um, previously, well, last time we talked, uh, I told you guys about the uh, youth center meetup that's going to happen. And um, yeah, we got our workshop. They have they have a they have a workshop there which wasn't really used it was full of junk <laughs> so um, we basically go, uh, got there uh, went to a meeting where everyone that is working there comes together every, every week um, just kind of pitched our idea and what we are doing and turns out we are kind of uh, on the same wavelength like mm. they are they are so anti biocratic uh as we are it's a it's a chaos but <laughs> it works you know That's it amazing. just works and um yeah how hacker spaces and these kind of spaces in general work is that uh whatever happens it happens because someone wants to do it right there is no hierarchy where like someone tells someone else to do something it's just if you want to do something cool just do it right and that's how these spaces live and uh grow and that's exactly how the youth center uh, works as well. They are completely self-organized and all that kind of stuff. So when we pitched our idea, they were all like, yeah, well, that's a, that sounds great. They didn't even ask stupid questions like, oh, <laughs> what is a hackerspace? What do hackers do? Uh, all that kind of nonsense. We totally prepared. 
We were super prepared for this kind of stuff. I saw it. You had multiple pages of notes. You were ready to explain to someone who had never heard of a computer, like, what your club did. Exactly. Uh, was not the case. Uh, they have a few, uh, yeah, IT-related people there as well. So that made things easier. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, as I said, it's a chaos there, but it just works. There is no hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Uh, they just get together every week, talk about, I don't know, upcoming events and that kind of stuff. And um, it just works. Uh, no bi bureaucracy or anything. That's exactly what we want. So they said, uh, oh, yeah, we have this workshop over there. Uh, went over uh, with us. And, um, yeah, it was full of full of junk and shit. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, they said, yeah, we have a lot of keys for this. It's a, it's a separate room. So, uh, yeah, you, you can have a key and, and work there, no problem. Just, like, wow. right away. Wow. Right away. After all the nonsense you went through at the school and all the levels of people being like, oh, well, so-and-so needs to sign off on this. Well, I'm not sure about this. I've never heard of that. Like, this, it sounds like the complete opposite. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, At At school, everyone was like, oh, mm, insurance, I don't know if we can do this. Yeah, a lab room, but we close at 7 p.m. and um, lab room. Uh, two people have to be in there all the time. No, you can't bring your own tools. All that nonsense, right? <laughs> and they are they are like completely the opposite. Uh, yeah, you need a room. Uh, we we have this. You have to clean it up, but you can use it. Here's here's the key, basically. <laughs> really? Uh, no, but that's great. So uh, we cleaned up the workshop uh, as much as we could, and we built a workbench, and uh, moved already a shit ton of equipment over. And um, one day, suddenly, we got a free server, a NAS, two os oscilloscopes, and a lot of other random electronic parts, like resistors, uh, capacitors, all that, that stuff, as well as, like, random parts from old electronics that we can use to repair other where, stuff. Where did you get them? Uh, so one member of the youth center uh, just had a lot of tools that he isn't oh using God. and said he doesn't have the time to do this, but you guys do are doing this, so, uh, yeah, you can have it. Two oscilloscopes, wow. like like good ones, not super old ones, like decent ones you can still use today. <laughs> <laughs> And oscilloscopes are expensive, so yeah, we are really happy about that. Uh, you we can got teach more. classes. Yes, we got we got more stuff just randomly from one day to another. Uh, then we did the entire the entire year trying to get stuff from the university. Wow! Oh my like, god! Like yeah. Well, so, yeah. Will you teach classes in the new space? Uh, we, we, we will get to that, all right? Mm. So, uh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I, I have this list to go through. <laughs> uh, while, while this uh, was happening, we also organized the movie night that I think I mentioned last time. Yeah, I mentioned because we talked about the All Creatures Welcome movie. Um, that thing went like semi well because uh, people showed up, but not like that many new people. Uh, we were maybe 10 people and most of them we already knew so we didn't really get new students involved but it was probably because of the time it was uh, Tuesday evening um, but there was no other dates we could have picked because uh, it was the last week of lectures and if we do it in in the holidays then yeah no no one is going right so uh, 10 yeah. people is still good it's still yeah. good yeah so uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, besides that, our group is uh, slowly growing, I noticed, because, uh, yeah, last, no, two days ago we had the last meetup. Um, someone new turned up as well as we are getting new people from the youth center. 
uh, that are really hyped about what we're doing there. So we get both new students as well as new like random people, like like outsiders, you know. But that's what we want. We don't just that's how want you start to grow. IT. Yeah, yeah. We don't just want IT students. We want just other people as well. Can doesn't matter where you come from, how old you are, how much knowledge you have, or whatever. Just yeah, be a part and help us. That's great. So um, now we actually have two two plus one places we can use. We have the Asta room where we are meeting e each week. We have a uh, kind of shitty lab room <laughs> um, from the university, but without tools and uh, we can't use it at night or on weekends or on holidays. So it's kind of kind of useless as as a space kind of location. Uh, but still, we can use this for events maybe. And then we have the workshop at the youth center. So um, since we have so we have at least two places where we meet up now, we have at the university where we are currently meeting each week, but we also have this uh, workshop which is on the other side of the city. Um, but that's that's also good because two of our members uh, said that uh, they want to continue the weekly meetup at the university. Mm -hmm. So um, that means that um, me. Uh, and and Glowl, who are organized, who just started this whole thing, we can focus on uh, getting the workshop done and organizing a weekly open space event, like most hacker makerspaces have. And uh, our other members, uh, or at least these two members, volunteered to um, keep organizing the other meetup uh, in the university. Because wow. two events, organizing two events each week, I mean, this is great. Because now if someone says, oh, I can't Thursday night, just because whatever they have on, at that point of time, they can come by uh, on, on Tuesday and or whenever we're going to make the open space event. And if someone says he can't come by because uh, he doesn't like universities or he, he lives at the wrong part of the city and he doesn't want to take the bus because it's late or whatever, then we still have that other space <laughs> on the other side of the city. So there's really... No excuse um, to skip <laughs> one of our meetups. And yeah, wow. that's where I noticed that we become a really pr pretty stable group because now things are organizing themselves. You, um, just pointing this out, you don't have just a, like a club of nerds. You have a leadership organization. You're getting people to self-organize and take on tasks that scale your organization in a way that like doesn't happen with just like a regular student club. So you're attracting people that are actually scaling what you're doing because they believe in your mission, which is it's like the, super hard to do. It's like the C3, the angle. Yeah, right. I have to say, uh, it's a lot of work to get people to that point. <laughs> but you, um, ha you have to make them believe in something that, uh, that is worth their time. And you have to take it very seriously. People draw their cues from you. So uh, honestly, I think it's the amount of work and seriousness you've put into this project that lets people know how they're supposed to behave within it. That's the, I think it's the only reason you've been able to uh, get these people to do so much wonderful work on your behalf is because they really believe in it and they've seen the way that you've, you've worked towards it. It's, I, just, I just think this is great. It's uh, next semester when... Uh, yeah, it's the winter semester, so a lot of new people will start studying computer science as well. We're just going to hit off like completely. Because then yeah. we have all these new students coming by. We have a stable weekly event at the university where they can come by. And we also have a workshop we can use and we can organize these open space labs as well. So both people 
studying at the university can come by as well as other people whenever they want because we have enough dates and if even if they can't on the given dates they can contact us because we can go to the workshop whenever we want because we have the keys um yeah next yeah, year it's gonna next year new people will spawn new people will spawn yeah I that's really why like it's how so you it, it's it's really great that we can keep both places running at the same time now because uh, the IT people spawn at the university, right? So it's we should stay there as well. But um, we can't have a we can't have a workshop at the university. So, but that problem is solved. So, yeah. I was gonna ask, what are the hours at the um, youth center that you're allowed to be there? Uh, whenever we want, can Whoa. do all nighter. Whoa! You're crazy. Yeah. Okay, you found the perfect partner. Yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> they are basically anarchists, <laughs> but uh, in a good way. In a good way. Wow. I think they have an anarchy flag somewhere. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and besides that, uh, we are already planning to organize three hackathons um, uh, next semester. So the mm. three first, the the three weekends starting at the new semester. Uh, will be uh, hackathons about programming languages because we had we, we thought about making events and hackathons are awesome events right but about mm -hmm. what topic because if we think about electronics maybe okay something Arduino something Wi-Fi because I know this kind of stuff but it's really niche and it's hard to get a lot of people interested in that same topic um, but you can't pick a topic like new programming languages. So just people can do whatever they want, but just on this one weekend, we all gonna learn the same programming languages, uh, the same programming language that we usually don't uh, encounter in our in, 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 in university or whatever, right? Because we, we only learn Java and, and C and C++. So let's do something completely different, like mm. Haskell, which is functional programming. Uh, Can I make a suggestion? Yeah. So when I've done uh, hackathons like this in the past, I've attracted more people when I create some sort of theme. So like Python for natural disasters. Uh, we did the NASA Space Apps Hackathon, which was all for planetary exploration, specifically around Mars. Um, for some reason, if you add a theme that regular people get excited about and they can start thinking about specific problems to solve with that language, getting started with ideas is not hard at all. Everybody takes their own perspective on it. We had people create art um, from like NASA like API data, and then we had people like develop landing like uh, systems that would like scan for inclement weather on Mars, like using uh, machine learning. It was crazy, but uh, just providing the theme or the context uh, that was like an engaging story, like, okay, there's been a natural disaster. Like, what can Python do to <laughs> help people recover? <laughs> like, you know, people start thinking about specific problems. Like, okay, if there's no power or if there's no signal, like, what, what can you do with this? Like, what kind of, Import. I don't know. I just, yeah. Import I, I, power. <laughs> Online. <laughs> Um, we did something with uh, Raspberry Pis where we created uh, like a bulletin board system where people could put like missing pet or missing uh, person information like after an earthquake, like things like that, um, that would be useful. And you can implement using common programming languages. Um, sometimes you can get more people to engage with it if it's a, a local problem that people are expecting to deal with or are currently dealing with, like excessive heat waves or, uh, you know, fires, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's a great, uh, great feedback. 
Uh, we should think of something. If you get stumped, it's how I've managed to do it. We have huge fires in Southern California all the time. So we um, we kind of veered some of our stuff towards uh, like fighting fires. And we got a ton of really interesting ideas because people live close to fires. So they were solving problems that we didn't even think about that you know they or their neighbors experienced, which was actually really cool and got some attention from companies who, you know, do insurance or other sorts of things around fighting fires. And we're like, oh, wow, that's an interesting solution. Like, we didn't think of that. Hmm. We actually got sponsors because of that, um, actually, now that I remember it, because we were doing something that was based on, like, natural disasters. Like, the state of California, um, like, sponsored some of the prizes for that hackathon. Hmm. Oh, wow, that's great. If we could yeah. get something like this, um, that would be crazy. Lots of people would be interested. Yeah, yeah yes. just a thought. I mean, if you, if you talk PR, to, like... Oh, my God. <laughs> If you talk to an organization that's in charge of like you know fighting fires or something like that and ask them what their problems are, you can create a hackathon around it that they they support because it's creating solutions for problems they don't have the resources to tackle themselves. You get great partnerships by doing that. And it solves problems that everyone can agree are like real problems that should be solved. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> our idea was that um, since you mostly just learn Java uh, at our university in, in computer science, Uh, that we should make hackathons uh, about something completely different, like Python, uh, because yeah. usually you don't get in touch with that. We haven't really thought about a theme to connect it with yet, but yeah, that's a, that's a good idea to do. No, I love that. That's really cool. Um, yeah, we, I, I love that you're covering languages that they're, they're not doing, because Python's so easy once you know these other technical right? languages anyway, and, and it's so flexible for prototyping. Yeah. And it's great for beginners, so all the new people starting uh, starting out, uh, they can just join our like just come by at the hackathon it, it will be on the first weekend uh, at the starting semester i like that uh, and because they can also learn python so even if they have no uh, no experience in programming you can start with python right away basically And if everybody's using Python on their projects, it means everyone can learn from each other. You know, you get these things that are disconnected. Everyone's using a different language or like some people are doing a web interface. Some people are doing like a backend solution. Nobody can really learn from each other because they don't know what they're doing. They just judge the, the end result. If everyone's using the same language, you can see what they did because you're using, you know, you're using the same thing. And yeah. I feel like if everyone is starting uh, with something new, uh, they are more encouraged to help out each other. Because you just, you know, you're really hyped if you just solve that problem or you, you, you learn something new, right? Then you're more motivated to share that knowledge with others. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the whole point. We, uh, Python is something we definitely want to do on the first weekend, just so we get the, the newcomers interested. Uh, Haskell uh. is something we want to do because it's something completely different to object orientation. Uh, and then we didn't really, we want to do a third one, but we haven't really decided. There's Go, there's Rust. Uh, we could also do, yeah, web, like like JavaScript or something, web uh, related. Arduino. It should be Arduino. If you're looking to attract beginners. That's a good point. It's so I easy for prototyping. You could do like an IoT thing and just have ESPs and just be like, design your own IoT, IoT product. Yeah, that's fair, fair point. I mean, we have C... Uh, in school, but it's. I feel like it's different than programming hardware. It's still, it's it still is. something different. But that's the fun part, because everybody's. Everyone will come from like this. They'll know how to work with data structures and stuff, but they'll be like, how like how do I make this LED blink? And that's the fun part, because once they get that, they have all this other stuff they can do. But they got. They, everyone's kind of starting from the same thing. I think it'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Also we. Specific, I think no. That that would be uh, great if you 
you know, start by uh, having a problem. Just what Cody said, because, you know, as we talked about in the education uh, episode and, and stuff, that you should approach, you know, learning from uh, where, where you have the problem and you learn how to use the tools rather than use the tools mm. to they learn the tools beforehand because you're going <coughs> oh to be God, more yes. interested more interested in uh, solving the problem and That's you're going to learn learn the tools by by having a problem in the first place so yeah i think yeah definitely it's, it's worth to having like you know not not just maybe not just python but having a sp- specific problem that you are going to solve with python and that that's really great that's uh yeah you 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 guys give great feedback i gonna I'm going to go back brainstorming with the others. <laughs> Invite uh, me to your hackathon. It sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. Everyone can come by. <laughs> um, but yeah, bes- besides those hackathons, um, we will also reach out to the company uh, that already offered to organize a workshop with us. Uh, if you remember the whole uh, hardware batch programming thingy, I think I told that last time. Yeah. Not sure. Yeah. But, um, I remember. The engineer came by, showed us the the boards they are mm-hmm. working on, and they have this this kind of beginner friendly uh, evaluation boards, which is a badge, and you, it has an e-paper display and, and Bluetooth, and it's super cool. And they they already organized the workshop to get started with it, and yeah, gonna do that as well. So <coughs> it's gonna be crazy next semester. That's amazing. I think you might even be able to turn this into something profitable for the people that are, are working within your organization. If you can organize workshops and classes and stuff, like, I mean, people will pay to go to those once these people get a little bit of experience and they get comfortable presenting. Yeah. Yeah, right now everything is still kind of in a, <laughs> like, prototyping phase. <laughs> but, um, yeah, if, if we get stuff running, I guess we could do workshops regularly. Uh, I think it would be well organized, especially at the the place. Sounds like the perfect partner. It's I'm so glad you found that. I'm not sure if we will do the hackathons at the youth center or in the Asta, because the Asta is a, it's the uh, what is it student association committee. What well, well, I, I it doesn't really translate into English, but they have they are part they are in the in the university building, but it's kind of their own part. They have their own keys, and if we go there on the weekend we could probably pull an all-nighter <coughs> without problem if it's on the weekend um yeah not uh, not decided yet because if we do it in a university it's better for the beginners i agree uh, also if we do but if you do if it at the university get a big lecture hall or something because universities respect that stuff if you're getting a, a big group of computer science students together for a, a hackathon like usually they'll let you use a larger space uh, I, I I don't think we will get that in time because now everyone is like kind of hibernating over this the summer pause, <laughs> um, and we want to do this on the first weekend. And I feel like the bureaucracy won't let us get uh, a big right. lecture room. Hmm. Um, but if we pull this off, then I bet you uh, next time they will be much more approachable, the <laughs> university, because this will generate a lot of attention. Yeah, hmm. but. If we have workshops that are more hardware related, then we're definitely going to do that at our new workshop. That's so exciting. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there, there there, are probably more things that have happened. I just I just wrote down every, everything I remembered. I, I might have left things even out because uh, things are happening super fast right now. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, if not, I will 
tell you next time. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, keep me updated. All right. Next topic is Arduino Wi-Fi security research. So some of my research has been on using the lowest cost possible hardware to do various hacks that usually require a lot more expensive stuff. And I've been working with a couple different things that were, uh, I, I thought they were pretty fun. So I just wanted to go through some of my recent Arduino Wi-Fi security research, um, because it turns out you can launch fireworks, steal data, you can backdoor computers and totally bypass VPNs. Um, and as I found out yesterday, depending on the location you're in, you can even spoof GPS locations using an ESP8266. So the other piece of hardware I'm using with this is a Digispark, which is honestly not super useful, except for the fact that it can be used as kind of a USB rubber ducky-like device. And I've been using it to write bash payloads, specifically for macOS computers, and I've come up with some really nasty ones, um, some of which I, I also can't uh, mention because, uh, David, you submitted that vulnerability, um, oh, yeah. and we're waiting back on that. But the ones I can talk about were, were pretty cool. But the first one I did was uh, the Arduino Fireworks project. So on my GitHub, it's uh, github.com slash skakars slash Arduino Fireworks. And what I did was I have a couple friends who work at SpaceX, and I'm really jealous that they get to say that the computer has taken control and then a rocket launches. Like that to me is so cool, and I want it for myself. So we did that project to just basically turn on and off a relay. I used a, a commonly available sketch um, that just creates a Wi-Fi network and then lets you switch it on and basically address the pins and turn them on and off. And then I wrote a bash script that does that firing program. When we did it on the 4th of July, um, there were problems. Uh, it turns out that the contacts that we'd made by screwing bolts into the side of the firework launcher were getting a lot of residue from the explosion. Uh, so that was a problem because it was limiting the electrical contact. And then one time the Wi-Fi control network failed when the relay was uh, connected. So basically we were passing the entire current of a boat battery through the launcher and we had no way of turning it off without getting close to it, which is the opposite of what we wanted to do with the remote launcher. So um, all this was happening while my neighbors were literally having like underage children stick like huge illegal fireworks upside down by accident into the tube, <laughs> um, like on our, on our street. So nobody even really noticed what we were doing. Like our neighbors are so crazy and there was, just explosives like raining down everywhere. Like everyone got like a little bit singed, but we successfully launched probably like 15, 16 times out of the modified launcher. And everybody who came got to create their own electrically fired firework and then fire it over there, um, over Wi-Fi. So it was cool while it, was, while it lasted. We didn't blow up any tubes. We didn't lose any fingers. Um, and we showed that you can safely launch fireworks from, well, as far away as you have a Wi-Fi connection, which is uh, pretty far. So. That was super cool. And the code's online, so if anybody else wants to do this to um, basically just get a wire hot, it's not it's not very sophisticated. You're just using a Nichrome wire and a battery to switch the power on and off in a controlled fashion. It does look really fancy, and I added um, the computer like, asserts that it has taken control of the launch and then like like walks you through it out loud. So that, for me, satisfied my, my feelings with my uh, SpaceX friend, and he was very, very, very mildly impressed by it. So I feel validated for spending an entire weekend doing it. So that was my Arduino Fireworks project. Um, I don't think it's, do you guys, are you are you allowed to have crazy, huge fireworks where you are? Uh, 
uh, I mean, uh, on New Year. Yeah, New, New Year, year yes. but it's it's not that you you can't get. I mean, you can fire off what you buy, I guess, but uh, you can only buy like legal stuff. <laughs> I mean, of course. <laughs> yeah, this is the. I mean, if I don't know what people buy, but if you buy from you know from the city, then um, they has to be people who are verified for this. So I don't think. I don't think it's that extreme as in uh, as as there. Yeah, we have two. So we have the state of Nevada, which allows you to buy like fireworks that are completely illegal in California, and people just go there and and pick up like a lot of them. But then people go to Mexico, where you can buy fireworks that are not even legal in the entire United States. And that's where all of my neighbors buy their fireworks. They're the size. <laughs> they're basically the size of your fist. And when they go up, um, like a bunch of like containers that are the size of like maybe a I don't know, like a, a pack of candy or something, like all come out and then individually explode. And each one of those is larger than the ones that you can buy in Nevada. So um, it was it was just insane. I was so happy that we had a way of launching those things away from our hands because. Um, it's they're insane. Like they'll they'll blast you fiberglass. They leave like pieces of fiberglass inside of cars uh, when they go off on the street level. So they're very very dangerous. Um, so I was I was proud of that. But um, that was uh, just using a relay and an ESP eighty two sixty six. But I managed to do even more without the relay. Um, <laughs> So I mentioned I'd been doing some of this Wi-Fi research on, in public places, especially the the train, um, like the the subway in Los Angeles, because it's underground and there's no other Wi-Fi um, broadcasting networks. So I can basically assume that any broadcasting network is either someone's um, phone that's doing like a hotspot or it's the beacon spammer if I have one of those. So I did a series of um, captures where I, I created basically 40 really common fake Wi-Fi networks that are all over the place in Southern California. And then I recorded the different devices that were reacting to it and put it into a Jupyter Notebooks uh, formula where I'm actually graphing a unique fingerprint for every single client device that's nearby. So what I'm learning about them is two things. One, you know, which devices they've been to, uh, sorry, which networks their devices connected to before. So whether they go to Starbucks, whether they go to a university, whether they have a TWC, uh, which is Time Warner Cable here. Um, and sometimes I can see what kind of carrier they use because certain carriers will put in uh, Wi-Fi networks and basically hard code them into the phone. So their phone will automatically connect to that network anytime that it's in range. So that's the first thing I discovered. But then if I, I tweak it by adding organizational stuff like, you know, um, government buildings and uh, inc include some of the other augments that um, Stefan and I worked on where we can start to spoof encrypted wireless networks, not just open ones, I can start to learn about who people are around me, what hotels they stay in, where they work, uh, because I can spoof you know, local business networks. I can spoof all kinds of things up to a thousand different networks and start to see you know, information about this person that I can tag them with. So ultimately, my interest is working with uh, like a neural network or machine learning to start plugging these in and having more easy identification. But I'm in the kind of early stages of noticing that the pattern that these uh, devices create when you start creating fake networks nearby them is very unique and identifiable. And it doesn't just unmask their real MAC address, like of course it does that, but even if they were able to spoof it, it still reveals a unique pattern of behavior 
from where they've been and the networks they've connected to um, that are stored on their preferred network list. So that is super creepy. And the fact that I can tell you know, where someone spends their time <clears throat> just by sitting next to them and reading the data coming out of their phone that's unencrypted, that I think is a should be a wake-up call for a lot of people on the kind of information that your device can just broadcast in the clear, unencrypted, that really can say like, hey, you've been to this sketchy place lately and connected to the Wi-Fi. Like, I know that because you know your device is giving up that fact. Yeah. <sighs> and of course, this also led to our big debate on whether or not it's legal or appropriate to record and publish plain text um, radio transmissions. The law is very different about this in my uh, area than in Europe. In Europe, it's kind of assumed that if you're, uh, if you're accumulating personally identifiable information or information that can show a pattern of life behind someone's device, then that information should be managed in a specific way. Where I am right now uh, in Los Angeles, it is, as far as I know, fine to record unencrypted broadcasts, provided you're not you know, doing some sketchy stuff in order to get the phone to, to send out more information than it normally would. But by and large, like creating common open wireless networks without the possibility of actually connecting and exchanging data, that is fine. Every time that somebody walks by a Starbucks, their phone goes through the same process. They don't mean to connect, but their phone is temporarily unmasked and reveals one of the networks in its preferred network list by that interaction. Simulating that, I don't think should be a problem. However, my argument was that this is similar to like a, a, a publicly accessible web camera in a public place. Like if you walk by it, your face might be captured. That's an expectation of being in public. And people have known about that since, you know, the invention of the security camera. Like if you if you walk in a public place and there's a security camera, you don't know who might see you. And there's not the expectation of privacy. The same way, if your device is is built in a way that puts out personally identifiable uh, information, then somebody recording, you know, just public information in a public space shouldn't necessarily, I don't think, um, need to scrub that data. They should in, in terms of, you know, do you want to be maintaining records that could be used to identify someone? No, not really. But should it be an obligation? Should it be legal? Should it be something that uh, people are forced to do? I don't really think so. Because the flaw lies on the on the part of the manufacturer and people who are using the technology, you know, by by making recording it illegal doesn't make it any less possible to do on you know a, a device that costs next to nothing, anywhere you are. So it raised a couple interesting arguments with my European colleagues um, who do Wi-Fi research as well, um, and it's interesting to see the way that they've ado uh, adopted various ways of sanitizing the data and trying to not erase the patterns that you're studying while still maintaining some level of privacy for the people who are unintentionally affected by these flaws in their technology. You know, this is just this whole probe request and beacon stuff. This is just looks like a shit show. I mean. I, I mean I get get that uh, this is how the Wi-Fi works, but shouldn't couldn't there be some better solution, <laughs> which is not like you know shouting out unencryptedly your uh, your whole saved network list? I mean, and I mean this is like a serious problem to solve, I guess, but uh, <laughs> there there has to be some other way to do it. I agree, Dude. and and right now the reason it, it supposedly does that is because the first uh, the directed probe request and the authentication request that that devices will react uh, with when they see a familiar network, uh, at least one of those needs to include um, information about the network in order to begin the uh, the authentication process. However, um, you know it it doesn't 
and and it could include the MAC address of the device that the, the communication is going to be um, like through. There's also some issues here with the FCC and, and using a MAC address that's randomized that's not in the assigned range of the manufacturer. So let's say that your, your device is setting a randomized MAC address when you're walking around so that it, it doesn't identify itself as a one unique address. Yeah, that, yeah. that fake address could be assigned to another you know, FCC registrant. So yes, then yes. starting a Wi-Fi connection without using your real one that you've been assigned by the FCC or whatever could put you in some sort of violation of, of uh, you see where I'm going with this. Even even um, the isn't the randomized things only randomized uh, uh, after the vendor identification thing? So if uh, Apple is doing some randomized MAC addresses, aren't they? You can see that it's an Apple, but uh, other than it's an Apple, it's randomized the, the other part of the MAC address, right? Or is it, it like doing completely random? inconsistently um so it's implemented differently I, I don't remember the specific implementation for mac os uh for uh apple devices versus android devices but i know that some of them actually do spoof um randomized mac addresses outside of their assigned range okay hmm. that's the thing with wi-fi you have the standard but the standard isn't really a standard it's more like a friendly uh guidelines that you could implement so yes. all the vendors they do whatever they want basically just as long as it kind of complies with the standard and ev just everyone does whatever they want so you <laughs> have a lot of different implementations of wi-fi and i think uh, in my opinion it's broken beyond repair because uh, I mean, even if they fix it you will still have <laughs> all the old issues what like what I'm talking about uh, with other ways of identifying devices beyond MAC address decloaking, you know, it, it's the easiest thing in the world to create a thousand fake Wi-Fi networks and assume that people nearby you will have connected to at least one in the past. That's just like that just breaks the security right there. But even if you fix that, then all the other things uh, like sequential sending out sequential probe frames that have like a, a number that just increments by one, like it, within the packet. So you can just be like, okay, like I'm just going to look for increase like you know, um, frames that are increasing by one and that's from the same device. Like that that kind of identification, optional vendor elements that like are only put in by very specific models of very specific phones, all those things can lead to identification uh, that totally, totally break these, these sorts of uh, anonymization schemes. This is really happening, the incrementation thing? That yes. Oh, okay. Yes, um, there's a great paper by Matthew Van Hoff on um, how incrementing probe frames and incrementing directed probe frames can allow you to identify a, a network or a device that comes into an area and then is randomized its MAC, randomizing its MAC address well, but still including elements uh, within the frames that allow you to identify what, it as coming from what, the same what's device. What's the point of that? Why is it? Why not just, just use a random ID or something? Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's just part of the Wi-Fi standard. It's in order to keep the packets consistent and make sure that no duplicates are being sent or something like that. Okay. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There there are so many fuck-ups, you can't fix them, really. I, do, I don't think security... It's fun to exploit them, though. It's fun, yeah. I, I'm glad as long as it's around, because it's just so much fun to play with. <laughs> I guess privacy but, wasn't really a goal when they designed it, I guess. No, no, it wasn't. Um, I they mean, tried security to fix a bunch was, of stuff, but encryption and stuff—that's fine. But uh, ha, even the encryption is yeah, yeah, yeah. You could argue <laughs> about that, but it looks yeah. like that the privacy part they really didn't put a lot of effort. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like they have uh, af after the web disaster, 
they thought like, oh, we really need strong encryption and that kind of stuff. But, um, but then they completely the overlooked. Frames. Yeah, they completely completely overlooked uh, like side channel that, information. That, you know, that, that could be because uh, back then it wasn't wasn't like today. You know, now everyone has a phone and that they connect to random Wi-Fi. Maybe you know back then when they designed it, it was like you had your computer and you connected to your Wi-Fi or something. I don't know. Maybe it was a different yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Most people back then weren't multi-homed, like when it comes to like <clears throat> how many Wi-Fi networks they had access yeah, to. Yeah, so yeah. That they would have like access to one or two Wi-Fi networks, not like all the ones that we encounter today. So yeah, that they didn't even <coughs> think about this, but uh, that's fair. I mean, but it could change later. Well, yeah. Uh, so the the last, uh, well, actually not the last, but the the last piece of u um, unique research that I did that I've been kind of pushing is how do you break a VPN? just by sticking a, a DigiSpark into someone's computer. So after some digging, I identified a payload that allows you to scan for all nearby Wi-Fi networks, um, break that into a, just a single string, and then send that as a referrer, a referrer link to Grabify. So what we're doing is, if they're using a VPN, they send a curl request to Grabify every 60 seconds, that's the payload, but in the referrer link, we send the result of this command that, that gathers all the nearby Wi-Fi network names uh, and BSS IDs, puts them into a string, and sends it as a referrer. So on the attacker end, I wait for someone with a MacBook Pro sitting at a coffee shop to go to the restroom. I stick in the DigiSpark for about 16, uh, maybe 10 seconds. Um, I've actually got it a little faster. So 10 seconds later, they have a like a cron task on their computer that every 60 seconds will send a request to Grabify and include the networks there nearby. So I can take that information, plug it into Wiggle Wi-Fi, and see their exact location, even if they're using a VPN that's masking their IP address. Isn't that fucked up? Yeah. Why did I make that? Why did I do that? <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so now that's just the thing. It's um, on my GitHub. It's uh, github.com slash skokar slash digitracker, I believe. Digitrack? Let me, let me check. Are, uh, actually, <laughs> are actually people uh, not uh, locking their computer when they oh go Oh my to god, all the time. I go to coffee shops all the time. Like, oh, I'll be right back. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, github.com <laughs> slash skakar slash digitrack. Um, there's, I now have ones that will, ex so, oh, so the twist on this is if you don't want to do this over the internet, you can also use an ESP8266 connected to your computer to steal any file you want on the computer. So you basically plug in, um, all right, you plug in the DigiSpark, it adds your your fake, rogue, bad, evil Wi-Fi network to their trusted network list. So now it'll connect to it. And then it sends a curl request to your, basically to the Wi-Fi network hosted by your ESP that contains whatever data you want. That is is basically hosting a server that outputs to the, the serial terminal. So you're just sitting on your computer and it's sending data directly from the victim's computer to your ESP8266 over the Wi-Fi network it's creating. It is badass and cool. So if a computer is not able to connect to the internet at large, provided it has Wi-Fi, you can still connect it to this evil network and steal any file you want. So those are the two attacks. Um, they both use a DigiSpark. One of them uses the internet to contact Grabify and and basically rat out the user and tell them uh, tell the attacker where they are by the Wi-Fi networks they're near. And the second one assumes that you can't access the internet and just uses an ESP to create a rogue network. And then when you plug it into the victim's computer, it connects back to that rogue network and starts sending anything you want. So 
I did, yeah, I made some bad stuff, guys. So <laughs> check it out. Because both of these attacks cost less than $5. The Digispark costs a dollar, like a dollar twenty, and the ESP costs $3. So this is literally messing up like a <clears throat> like a $3,000 computer with like $5 worth of hardware. I love it. It's fun. Um, and then the last one that I, I've tried out, but this isn't me. This is somebody else. Um, I'm a huge fan of their work, though. Um, is a sketch for the ESP8266 that spoofs Wi-Fi networks that have been recorded definitively as being in a certain location. So if you're in an area where you don't have like a direct um, you know, GPS signal, like if you're indoors <clears throat> or in like a basement or something, and there's not a lot of other Wi-Fi networks nearby, um, this thing will convince your phone that the strongest nearest Wi-Fi networks are at in Mike Zuckerberg's pool, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's <laughs> pool, and then your phone will put you in the pool. It, it, like if you open your maps and, and try to see where you are. Yesterday, I spoofed myself um, into Facebook headquarters, uh, and my phone was like, there you are. Uh, so this actually works. Um, of course, it will not work if there's a lot of other Wi-Fi networks because your phone will, will basically be like, wait a minute, something's not right here. Um, and it also will not work if you have a direct like line of sight to GPS satellites, so you need to be indoors. But you can actually sp like um, pick a location, use Wiggle Wi-Fi to uh, download the names of the networks in that area, load this onto an ESP8266, and spoof any location you want in any indoor location. Like, like you can make a mall, uh, put everybody who tries to tag their photos in Kenya if you want. Yeah, this, this happened both of the times I were at the C3. Uh, I I remember I wanted to you know look at my location history to, you know check out how 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 it looked like, and it looks like okay I'm going to Budapest okay I'm flying to uh, Frankfurt okay really cool train, and now I'm in London, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and and the Google literally uh, Google like I don't know it, it it you look at the location history it says okay uh, it it tracks everything you know perfectly flying train everything and then it says moving. Uh, to London in like one minute you moved to London and it, it, it just, just fucks up everything and your oh whole location God. history is fucked and it happened both of the times yeah every every you guys three. you guys okay so we need to make a like a hacker game where one of the clues is you have to like switch on like an ESP and then like figure out what location it's spoofing and then go there for the next clue <laughs> oh my god yes oh my god only hackers will be able to find it or you just open up Google Maps and... Well, okay, or any idiot also, but, mm. you know, any, <laughs> any idiot wouldn't know why they should go there. I love it. Yeah. But yeah, so that was that blew me away. I was like, oh my God, like with this, with this horrible, horrible, but still $2 Node MCU, I can create any location I want in an indoor area. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, and of course, for anyone who doesn't know why that works, it's because most cell phones don't actually use GPS to find your location. If you don't have a direct GPS signal, that can take several minutes. Instead, they use a system called AGPS or assisted GPS to use the location of the closest Wi-Fi networks uh, based on a known database of networks that have been geotagged to find where you are. So if you Even, get a really fast signal, like when in an area that has a lot of attenuation that doesn't have a good, you know, a cellular or GPS signal, that's how your phone does it. Even if you have Wi-Fi turned off, that's even if you mention. have Wi-Fi turned off. Yes, I mean exactly. Yep, you you can you can turn that. There is it is in the settings, but you know, you, if you look at your phone and you have it looks like you have Wi-Fi turned off, yeah, and then maybe it's it's not completely turned off. But the fact that we, it, yeah yeah. 
Oh, I was going to say, in the when we were doing radio isolated testing, I told everybody to turn their, their location off, and everyone did. And I was still able to identify Samsung phones from a substantial different distance because they were not randomizing their MAC address while they were probing for networks in order to find their location. So even when people put their, their, plan, their thing on airplane mode, it was uh, still, if they had AGPS on, sometimes sending out probe requests with their real MAC address on Samsung phones, which was really lame for them. Yeah. You do so much work that I don't do. I'm jealous. I base most of my work off of your work. <laughs> your the the beacon spammer was like the way that I managed to make some of the first breakthroughs and, and I like brute forcing preferred network lists. The fact that you've already done a lot of this work and that you worked with me on adopting it to make it be able to target um encrypted WPA2 networks as well is the only reason I've been able to do this. So literally your collaboration is why I've been able to, to make this happen. You know, the uh, library I was working on, uh, I think I called it eSnoop e or something. So there's an ESP, ESP Snoop. Yeah, but I, I think I wrote it eSnoop. So it's E-S-N-O-O-P and the E-S-N-P-R uppercase, whatever, <laughs> shitty name. Um, <laughs> I, I want to continue on this kind of stuff, but um, one thing I encountered is that I, I try to make stuff, that's that's the greatest transition. Uh, <laughs> I try to make stuff object-oriented in embedded uh, code. Does not mm. work out. Mm. It does not work out at all. Uh, hmm. Makes just things complicated and whatever. Uh, this was actually one of the copy, uh, top topics, um, object-oriented programming, and I wrote down a shit ton of stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's not get into that today because that's going to take up another hour or something. <laughs> Still worth talking yeah. about, though, because a lot of the limitations we've dealt with, yeah, um, you mentioned. I, 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 I learned some new uh, techniques and uh, I will apply them as soon as my exams are over and I want to get into this stuff because it's super interesting. Hmm. And I, I want to publish more just, um, yeah, not necessarily libraries, but definitely code, so people can use ESPs easier uh, to get into researching Wi-Fi and that kind of stuff. Yeah, because uh, this is an incredible research tool. Most people don't know about it, and the fact that you are one of the—I told you, like one of the foremost researchers on using ESPs to do security-related things that they're not supposed to do. There's like three other people that are really serious about this, and two of them are like inscrutable, and they're. They're so far in the weeds of, of doing stuff that they're not using Arduino. You know, they're like flashing the the thing directly and like you have to like have all this other, it's like so hard to understand like how to do the stuff they're doing. You know, they're making, you know, like NAT routers or whatever, like out of the ESPs, but I can't follow their instructions for shit. Like, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. You're one of the only people that makes it accessible for beginners. And that's why like, I choose to use these um, ESPs for my research because like you have made it so much easier to use them than just using one of the like tons and tons and tons of wireless network adapters I already have. You know, I could do a lot of this stuff in Scapy, like if I really wanted to in Python, but like why the fuck would I when there's already a library that's beautiful and written here and solves most of the problems I would run into? <laughs> yeah. A lot of uh, people, if they already have knowledge about embedded programming, that kind of stuff, uh, they love to use the tool chain directly for the chip. 
Um, but uh, I, I don't know, dude. You have to use these uh, really obscure, big, complicated C uh, libraries provided by the um, by the manufacturer of the chip. And the documentation often lacks. Uh, there is a lack of documentation, <laughs> and yeah, I I don't know. It's just no fun and complicated to set up and everything. And then you move to a slightly different chip, and you can't just take your code over, right? Because you have to install a complete new two chain, new libraries, whatever. It's not compatible. And Arduino, uh, even like a lot of people that are into embedded stuff, they hate on Arduino. Uh, because it adds a lot of, yeah, it, it makes the code big and bulky uh, mm-hmm. in terms of performance, but it just makes everything so easy. It cross compile if you if you make a library if you write it well, you can make an Arduino library that runs on like two dozen different uh, architecture of chips, mm. which is incredible. Just, because for yeah. a beginner, I can teach an, an Arduino. Wi-Fi class. I cannot teach, you know, uh, an ExpressF ESP8266 flashing class and have expect people to be able to carry that knowledge into anything other than working with other ESP8266 chips. If I teach them Arduino Wi-Fi, they can work with a huge number of supported chips. And it's just the skills are so much more transferable when you like keep it, you know, keep it to something you could teach a class of beginners in a week to begin making stuff with. If you can't create a Wi-Fi hotspot in Arduino, like using an ESP8266 in like an hour, you can't read. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I don't know. I'm I'm both too lazy to move away from Arduino as well as I don't want to because I, I feel like I would exclude everyone <laughs> if, I, if I would make my stuff in, well, just with the SDK itself directly with the, the tool chain and everything. Then no one would be able to recreate this. I mean, some people would, but not maybe maybe one percent of my target audience right now. Yeah, it's not. Wh- where's the benefit? Yeah, I could make a proof of concept and show people and like, oh hey, this is cool, but mm, it's not recreatable. Yeah, yeah, no. This is uh, this has been a really good experience for me, just like collaborating with you on various ESP projects. I have one friend on my end who helps me out with uh, the programming stuff I don't understand, and then aside from that, you know, coming up with the concept, being able to work with like a computer science student and a re- and fellow like a fellow researcher that knows what they're talking about and can make the modifications to test what I'm trying to test. I've never had this kind of like freedom before to just test out theories and and it's only through collaborating and and honestly your work uh, on making these tools more accessible that I've been able to afford to because usually you, you need a degree in computer science and like a really nice wireless network adapter that you're making it do stuff that's totally outside of warranty and not you know you have to learn scapey and all this other stuff like it's just not possible. Like I'm, I'm testing, you know, I'm brute forcing preferred network list with a fucking three dollar device using Arduino that they teach to like children. <laughs> that's like that's incredible in and of itself. Yeah. All right, I I think we are at the end of the episode. I think so too. We covered a yes. lot though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe next time I can make a big rant about object oriented programming. Oop. Maybe. Well, now we definitely have the context for why it might get in the way for trying to do some cool, simple things by making it too complicated and extra I'm, <laughs> extrapolated. I, I, I'm thinking right now if I should reprogram the um, the the Chicken Man game because 
it's it's a perfect candidate to move away from classes and into mod modular programming. Hmm. Uh, but uh, anyway, I we get off topic again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, may, maybe maybe next time. Um, I just wanna before I forget it, I wanna thank uh, our patrons, Aaron, uh, another Aaron, but not the same, <laughs> Adrian, uh, Ducky, Eric, uh, Kenneth, and Kerry. Yes, thank, thank you. you to everyone who supports the show. Thank you very much. All right. Also, um, give feedback. Yes. David, you have to do ah, your thing. I have to. Uh, yeah, I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like <laughs> you, you sound super unmotivated. <laughs> like, yes, oh yeah, uh, I'm talking to you. Yeah, give feedback. Mm -hmm. I, I am, even though I don't have the motivation for this, uh, th what I had uh, in the first episodes, I am still talking to you because you are listening to me. So this is a fact. This is not something I should be hyping you f uh, up for. <laughs> uh, so because you are talk you are listening to me, that means that you listen to the whole episode, which means that you could give us feedback that we could uh, respond to in the next episode. So that would be great. And we would be uh, really happy to see what uh, to hear what you think and respond to that in the next episode. Yeah, look, so. we are really trying to improve this now. I mean, look, we have we have someone here now that can uh, can do properly moderating things as well as speak English. Trust me, oh, I'm yeah. a doctor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and now we gonna talk about the feedback from last episode at the beginning of uh, each episode so yeah uh, so you yeah. can make a difference you can be in the podcast uh, i mean you're yeah we will talk about it <laughs> if you give us feedback uh, th that's maybe a bit but we will try to talk about it if you give us feedback so yeah give us feedback thank you <laughs> all right what, what um, was that convincing enough well yeah i think i think it <laughs> such, such, such a try hard <laughs> I uh, believed it I believed it it's great it's Thank great you. it's <laughs> fun because we're laughing now so it's great yeah uh, yeah we have cool topics for next time because uh, uh, we went over over, over time already uh, we have enjoyed hacking adventures and is uh, is oop bad oop being object oriented yeah. programming so be hyped for next episode um, yes but yeah then if you guys don't have anything to add nope. I would nope. say I thanks think that's for it. listening I nearly said thanks for watching but that's no 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 <laughs> right bye bye thank you bye bye, bye. <laughs>